millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Friday uh, Extra Show of the Progressive Britain podcast. I'm Alison McGovern, Chair of Progress, and this is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive politics has a lot to offer the modern world. I'm here with Tris Brown, Hello. previously a star of the Progressive Britain podcast and long-time political commentator, and we are in Liverpool, Tris. We are in the Brink Cafe, which... I have to say, I'm embarrassed. I've never been to before. This is which my first which time. is a shame because often when people come to Liverpool, I like do them little notes of like cafes to go to and stuff. Yeah. This, this started when Ashford and I got married and part of our wedding invitation was a little tourist guide to Liverpool that we wrote. Nice. Yeah. And since then, the Brink would always be on my list. It's a great cafe. They don't sell alcohol. It's like a very much a bar style. It's got a really good interior decor vibe, I think. But they don't sell alcohol because it's part of a charity that works with people who have who suffer from an addiction. And it's a social enterprise where all the profits go back into supporting people. You know, people can come here and get help if they've got addiction needs, or they can come here and have a really nice panini. Exactly. And I, I'm not saying that's why I've never been here, <laughs> but it clearly is a very worthwhile endeavor. But everybody I know who's, who's they say they love it. And it's just an accident of history. I've not Never actually made it through. Will you be here all the time now? I'm, I'm loving it. The vibe yeah. is great. It's on uh, Par Street in Liverpool. And if you're passing through, do go to the brink. And thank you to them for hosting the uh, podcast today. This show is a uh, look ahead to the budget on Monday that's coming up. Budget 2018. And Tris, everybody, uh, you know, I think is expecting this budget to be quite difficult for Philip Hammond. You know, Brexit looms large. Um, I've written a piece that uh, will be up on the Progress website today with 10 things to look for. But there's a fundamental problem at the heart of this budget, isn't it? That, that Theresa May's kind of dropped Philip Hammond in, really, by saying we're going to have the end to austerity. As what a, what does that even mean? What does it mean? But as a political calculation, what the hell was going on there? Because to announce the end of austerity, and the Resolution Foundation, I think, have said this week that that would cost £31 billion to end austerity. But what does it mean? And no one knows. And how he's going to deliver on something which he can put the label on, this is the bit of the budget where we've ended austerity. It's going to be very, very difficult when lots and lots and lots of people are literally already getting in the line to point out how, oh, but austerity hasn't ended for us. 
Yeah, exactly. And so like there'll be all kinds of campaigns that people have never really paid that much attention to, like um, the need for more resources in probation, for example, that all of a sudden, you know, they've heard the message, end of austerity, and it won't feel like it. When you invite the shopping list, everyone's going to put forward their their requirements and their requests for for, for that shopping list, whether it's probation, monuments, local government, the NHS, the police. And the truth is we're living in a country where people feel things really aren't quite working as well as they should. The NHS, all the struggles there, we know that crime is a problem. Uh, Local government will tell you that. Even basic services such as libraries or our parks are, are all uh, under pressure for, for the funding. That's before you even get to the, the really important big things like social care, whether it's children's or adult social care. Two years ago, we, there was a great deal of noise about how social care was, was in, in trouble with underfunding. They came together with a small fix for it. There's, there's still no talk about what the funding package will be post-2020. These are big ticket items that people depend upon as, as their basic level of services. And I think the challenge ultimately is, is Philip Hammond going to bring a budget that signals that the Conservatives have dropped their small state ideological approach towards budget? I don't think he will. I don't think he will. And I don't think he can because Brexit is messing up all of the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't there a big question at the heart of this though, which is let, putting Brexit to one side for a second, let's come back to that in a minute. Isn't the big question here, like, and certainly for those of us on the progressive side of politics, what would we do? What would a truly progressive budget actually look like? And I think that's the that's the mission we have to take away, that we have to kind of think through some of these questions about um, how we change our economy, how we rebalance it. And it looks like the spending review that was planned may or may not happen. There were rumours in Westminster last week that the budget was going to kick to the curb the forthcoming spending review which just shows the Tories don't they don't really have a plan but actually if we if we were doing if you know progressives were in government and we were doing a um a spending review which of the areas for reform and rebalancing in our economy would we prioritize isn't that the central question that we have to really engage with fundamentally it's the question because all the examples i've just given are about services that people are using or depending on but in terms of our economy, I think this is where currently there are no indications that Philip Hammond is concentrating on either. So if we think about skills funding, infrastructure funding, uh, the kinds of things that businesses want to see happen because it will help them do better or bigger business, none of that appears to be there. And surely as progressives, we want to see a bigger economy, a more active economy but the, in, in a way that we're able for more of our citizens to benefit it, to yeah. benefit from, to yeah, participate exactly. in. Absolutely. So in the in the piece that I've written, I mentioned childcare and social care as, yeah. as more and more economists are seeing that as, as important as infrastructure in terms of helping with productivity, helping citizens get on and get involved in the economy. Maybe if, if you're, uh, say, if you're working in a very... Um, entry-level job, say in a supermarket or in care or something like that, and you'd actually like to get promotion, what you need is a bit of time back from your own caring responsibilities so you can get more skills. So we've got to really think strategically about what does improving infrastructure mean now in this economy? I love that idea of defining infrastructure as more than just trains or buses, but also things like childcare. I really like that because it's the softer side of these policies, which can make a big difference to people's lives. But but their futures as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, and this is even before we've talked about, are we really educating 
a new generation of young people to truly benefit from the, the, the modern world as it truly is. And I don't know how comfortable many people are in, you know, with the answer to that question. Yeah. Well, I think probably we don't have time to, for you and I to uh, design the budget that we would write. Uh, if, uh, but if, I feel like if, we're on the brink of something. <laughs> uh, if you, if you and I were like chancellor of the exchequer and uh, chief secretary, but, um, but uh, we'll, a subject we'll come back to, no doubt. And um, one of the things I just did just want to flag is obviously the issue of universal credit um, and the situation that people are in. Um, our colleague, Luciana Berger, MP for Wavertree, had an excellent debate in the House of Commons on poverty in Liverpool, um, which, you know, Liverpool, similar to all the kind of bigger cities that, that has really suffered from the universal credit cuts and situation. And um, so that is, you know, an issue that's that's very important. And also Maria Eagle um, ha- is having a debate as well on local government financing because that is really, it's really stark now, isn't it? It is. And, and Maria's debate is next week, which will be after the budget. So uh, whether there's any news in the budget for local government financing, hopefully uh, that will, debate will be less necessary. But I, I doubt it somehow. Yeah, I doubt it. And that brings us to, to the final thing that we should probably really talk about, which is Brexit. Because one of the reasons why the... the one of the reasons why local government, amongst others, so local government in the broadest sense, whether it's the police, fire service, um, and another kind of, we mentioned probation, but all of the kind of service providers as arms of the UK state, one of the reasons why things have been so difficult is because they've also had short-term settlements yeah. in recent budgets. And whereas what they actually need is this sort of like three to five year run. The NHS is the only really um, bit of the state in the UK that really knows what it's getting um, into the future. Um, so we're really, we're kind of like, we've got Brexit blight at the moment in funding. It's like, we can't, we can't really move forward because we all don't know what's happening with Brexit. It's the, it's the big thing in the room that no one can see past. And, and I suspect every time uh, the chancellor and civil servants all sit down and and they start trying to work out figures. People, someone goes, oh, well, of course that could change when this might change. And there's no bedrock on which anyone can base and that base their calculations. And I think that's, that's a really difficult problem for us as a nation. And I think we, should, we probably can afford to be a little more honest about it. Um, it because it's, it just is difficult accounting for this yeah. amount of uncertainty, isn't it? Yeah. And some, uh, I was in a meeting this week and someone made the point that if you think back to the last recession, now, the ability for local government, for example, to intervene in the economy last time round in terms of supporting um, people on benefits, people who lost their jobs as a result of the recession, and all of that capacity has gotten, and, you know, a continued discussion with someone else, and they said, well, we, we, you know, local government doesn't intervene in the economy in the same way that national government does, but what local government does is it holds the social structure of society together. And if you think about you know, so how many councils have lost as much as 50% of their funding, where is that capacity gone? Nearly a million council officers million since council 2010. Officers. So all of that capacity has been lost. And, and if Brexit causes another economic shock, recession or not, you have to wonder where is the capacity to help deal with yeah. it? Yeah. And, and the Bank of England faced a similar problem in terms of their capacity to respond in the way that they did last time. Um, I was talking to colleagues in trade unions this week about them facing a similar dilemma. So essentially, we've got 
we've really got two Brexit problems as I see it. We've got a immediate uncertainty that is hanging over us, this Brexit blight. That means mm. we can't, nobody can plan because we don't really know, you know, all of the figures are built on sand in this budget until we know what's happening with Brexit. And then we've got the kind of long-term thing that actually we may manage it so that Brexit doesn't trigger a recession, but what it is doing is causing decline. So the slow but steady removal of investment from companies, the kind of uncertainty that's meaning that in manufacturing industries, which dominates a lot of the North, that, you know, people are really fearful of their jobs and actually you know, we've seen job losses. All of that is degrading our economy in a kind of slow but sure long-term way. And uh, and I see not a lot of uh, hope, really, that Hammond's going to have an answer to that. Need one, though we do. I completely agree. And it sounds like we're just here complaining about how bad Brexit's going to be. But the reality is, we're, you know, when it comes to running a country, Philip Hammond's going to stand up and try and make a budget. For some reason, the Prime Minister said, it's the end of austerity. And he has to deliver on something. And when actually the most honest answer is to say, we still don't know what the next 12 to 24 months are actually going to look like. And, you know, and, and in many ways, I, I, I think the country could, would genuinely benefit from a bit of honest talk from a government yeah. that said, I'd rather, he could, yeah, I'd rather he did turn up and say, I'm not going to make promises in this budget because here is the range of what we think is going to happen. There we go, straight talking on his politics. Well, we haven't got time to have an analysis of what Jeremy Corbyn should say in response. It is very, very difficult. It's the hardest job in politics, being leader of the opposition on budget day. You know, you're not the economic spokesperson, but you do have to do the response. It's really tricky. So um, so we shall wait and see what is in Hammond's budget. Um, but for all uh, updates, do follow um, at Progress um, online and look for those uh, Twitter feeds and let us know what you think. Tris, my, uh, the piece that I've written will be up along with a lot of budget commentary and no doubt. What's your go-to uh, on budget day? What's your go-to source of news? Any secret windows into how to find out the real story? Uh, no, no, because let's face it, it's, it's all presentation. The devil's in the detail and sometimes it can take months for that detail to come out. And several years ago, this is, I probably shouldn't admit to this as a political commentator, should I? But the reality is I watch, I watch, keep an eye on the BBC. I keep an eye on the likes of Politics Home or, you know, so on just to kind of see what people are coming through. Huffington Post is obviously very good normally and the various websites such as Progress. And I just see what people are saying. Most of the time people just come into the office and we just talk about it because in truth, it can take months to actually find out yeah. what the real what the reality is going yeah, and on. And once you dig into the figures, there's a whole lot of work to work out what it really means. But anyway, let us know your thoughts. Always interested to know what people think. So uh, give us some feedback. And one final bit of feedback before we close. Um, Connor tells me that the question answer to the political uh, pub quiz question on Monday's show, the answer was Emily Wilding Davidson. And the winner was Marion Craig. So well done, Marion, well to done. you. Well Progress mug on the way to you. Um, and it just uh, remains for me to say thank you, Tris, for being with us once again. I'm, I'm very hopeful that we'll get to do lots more uh, Progressive Britain podcasts Always together in Liverpool. And we might come back to the brink because they have been very nice to us. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.